Welcome to the Real Guy Podcast. It's Captain Jeff today with the Shepherd, Stephen Busaka. What's going on, guys? So we started the podcast today. Stephen didn't want to tell me uh, exactly what he wanted to talk about today. So go ahead, Stephen. Well, I think the first thing we definitely need to talk about is the meal that we just had. Because, I mean, that was absolutely phenomenal. Jeff, you want to tell me what we just had? So, uh... So anyway, I had a day off today, and I called up Pusaka yesterday. I wanted to see what he was doing. Maybe come over today and do a recording. So we uh, we agreed upon tonight, and uh, the wife was cooking an Italian home-cooked meal today. And I called Pusaka a little early and asked him if he wanted to come over earlier to uh, get his Italian grub on. And boy, did we get in on me. I'll tell you what, you got, those, those meatballs were good. Of course oh, they were good. Man, we had some good meatballs. And it was funny. I, I would say about 80% of the people that were there were Italian, too. What do you mean 80%? Only were they? only, only you and my mother-in-law were 100% Italian at the table tonight. That's where the 80% comes in. Well, actually, I guess the wife was 100% Italian, too. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, are you, what, are you gloating over there? Something like... Well, no, I'm not gloating. I just... It was... I mean... Dude, that's like the way to my freaking heart is my through my stomach. So invite you over for some good, some good, uh, some good, good Italian food, and then you're good. Exactly. <laughs> so what I kind of wanted to talk a little bit about today. So um, you know, for those of you that have been following me on social media, uh, you see that I've been posting a few pics uh, the past few weeks from me going down fishing the beach. So uh, for those of you that don't know, you know, I mean, I'm known as the Shepherd, you know, because of a whole sheep's head excursion that we did about two years ago. But beach fishing uh, was really, has really always kind of been my passion, uh, particularly Jack Crevel and Snook, Snook being my favorite. Um, so I've been doing pretty good actually these past few weeks. Uh, nothing crazy to brag about, but just getting into some nice fish and and it's just really enjoying myself. But you know, I got to tell you, you know, Jeff is one of the few people you know that you knew, you know, kind of what was going on with me uh, for a while last year. Uh, unfortunately, my health took a little bit of a uh, a little bit of a downturn, and I wasn't able to really do much fishing at all last year. And I got to tell you, just being out there these past couple weeks has just been so refreshing. And so it, I just really kind of feel like I'm getting my groove back. And that's why in this episode, I thought it'd be kind of cool if we call this episode "Getting Back to Your Roots." Oh yeah, so you're uh, so you're you're. You're making up for missing last year's happy bait and all that beach fishing last summer. Everything. And now, now I will say this, though. Aside from, you know, me, me not being well enough to do it, some, and, this, and I still think about this to this day. Last year on Dania Beach, and you'll remember this, there was, so, there was so much seaweed. I mean, you couldn't cast. Right. Nobody, live bait, nobody could get anything because there was seaweed piled as far as the eye could see. Now, one thing I noticed, and this might just be my superstitious side, but if, so when you go to Dania Beach, they got these, the poles that kind of mark every so many yards right. over there. Well, I remember last year, somebody kind of decorated one. It, and it almost kind of looked like one of those tribal warning um, things, you know what I mean? What, they like painted on it? Yeah, like they painted on it, they hung a bunch of stuff on it, like it looked like a tribal warning. Like um, sign and we had a joke that somebody done put a curse on the beach and that was why all that happened someone put the voodoo curse somebody on the beach somebody put the something? voodoo curse on it looked like I'm, I'm serious and it's and every time I go down there now 
I look at every one of those poles to make sure that ain't nobody put no voodoo or hanging no seashell or rock or nothing from them things. Well, it could have been voodoo. It could have been, um, was that Santa, Santa, Santeria, Santeria, like the Cubans and stuff down (laughs) South there. Is that, is that when they, they do the chicken, uh, they cut the chicken? Is that Santeria? Yeah. They do the chicken foot. Yes. Yeah. So it could have been that. I don't know. It could have been like. Well, the, the, the Haitians, they got their own voodoo thing. They got like a voodoo zombie type problem. Yes. I don't, yep. know, I don't know how they explain that one, but the, that's a, like the Haitian thing. is like they got like this guy that, uh, I don't know. He's like zombie-ish. And uh, maybe that dude was down there at the beach putting the curse on the beach. I mean, it was like, but I tell you, I mean, I, I always looked around, I see no zombies, but I do remember that I thought that was very interesting because I've been fishing that beach for a while. So you, you think that. you'd know a zombie if one was I would know there. a zombie if I seen one. What? Sometimes I see one when I look in the mirror in the morning. What's the dead giveaway at the beach when you see a zombie? The dead giveaway is the fact that they look dead. <laughs> that they look dead? By the way, they walk. And the walk. It's all about the walk and the talk. I guarantee you a zombie can't get a dozen. Probably not. And maybe that was why he put the curse on the beach, because he knew he couldn't get a dozen. He didn't want nobody else to get a dozen. Dude, that superstition stuff, that's all a bunch of horse malarkey. I knew you were going to say horse malarkey. <laughs> well, you know, like, you know, you know how many times somebody gets on my boat, and they're like, I didn't bring any bananas. Oh, god! Or if they see a banana in my boat, they, they, freak they out. bring up the banana thing, and it's like superstition and all that kind of monkey business. That's... Dude, that's that's crap. Let me tell you guys something. You know, and I, I ain't no expert here, but you know, I always think that you know the power of the mind. If if you didn't know about that whole banana superstition, if you saw a banana on the boat, you wouldn't think anything of it. You'd be like, "Oh, can I have one? Maybe." That's it. But then all of a sudden, as soon as somebody plant that in your mind, that's all you think about is, "Oh my gosh, we caught nothing. It must have been because of the bananas." Well, I think a lot of people don't catch nothing. And then they're looking for a scapegoat. They ever, exactly. And the banana thing, that's easy. Yeah. That's like the easy thing, the easy way out. You know what I mean? I mean, listen, guys, I mean, sometimes sometimes right. they're biting, sometimes they're not. All right, so last month, last month I probably did like 30 trips, right? Okay. And let me tell you my schedule or how, how, how I roll every day. So get up around 10.30 in the morning and drink a pot of coffee. That usually takes me... To about 11.30. Then at 11.30, I come out back and I enter my emails and any type of phone calls that I get it back to. I do that between 11.30 and 12.30. And then between 12.30 and 1.30, I load the boat up, make sure I got enough ice, drinks, make sure I got the leader, all little stuff that I might need for the day's trip. And then I leave here and then I go get fuel. I get my fuel at the Shell station on the way out. And then I go by 7-Eleven. And I'll get like a Cliff Bar, bag of ice for the cooler, two bananas every day. And I did that all last month. And while I had the two bananas a day, one bananas for the truck, one bananas for the boat. I eat one on the way to the ramp and then I put one on the boat. And we only slammed about, I don't know, we only slammed about 65 tarpon last month. That's so, what I mean. It's all superstition. So if I wasn't eating a banana or two every day and had them on the boat, what? I would have got 120 tarpon last month? Who knows? We'll have to test it this month. Or should I say next month? I think it's a bunch of crap. I think the banana thing is crap. 
I really do. Um, maybe one day when I go down to the beach, I'll stick a banana in my pocket one day. Oh, just uh, don't get too crazy on us. Oh. Well, let me tell you, I, there's been a few <laughs> times I have seen bananas wash up on shore while I'm walking the beach. But um, I got to tell you, I've, I've like never whole really... Whole banana or banana peel? Whole banana. But I've never really taken note if whether or not... I, I couldn't tell you if I caught a fish that day or not. But if I see a banana, my first instinct is not to freak out. Now, if I, however, if I see some tribal-looking thing, voodoo-looking thing, I might get a little uneasy about it. It's up for debate. You know? That's horse but, malarkey, don't I? Dude, that's kind of like... On Wicked Tuna, they talk about tuna gods or fish gods. No, no, they're no fish gods. It's all a bunch of horse malarkey. They're no fish Just gods. like the banana thing. <laughs> what? Just like the voodoo thing that's going on down there at Dania Beach. Only in Dania Beach, man. But, so another thing too. So, you know, so like I said, I'm finally, so kind of put the superstition thing on the back burner. So, you know, it, it's... it's <laughs> and you don't talk about that no more. Yeah, now I'm getting super, now I'm getting me all nervous. Um... <laughs> So, you know, so like I said, I've been going down there again. And I tell you, when I first started going back down there a few weeks ago, it's one of those things where you kind of, you're not as confident as you were because you start to wonder, like, you know, it's been a long time. Like, that was the first thing about my head. It's been a long time since I caught a snook. Right. So you almost kind of think to yourself, you know, if I, if I hook one, am I still going to remember what to do? You know, that thought does, you know, that thought crossed my mind. And I got to tell you, I was a little bit nervous going down there first because, you know, then you lose it and then it's, you know, it's kind of one of those fear of failure things, you know? And I got to tell you, you know, two weeks ago, walking down there and I was targeting jacks. Most of the time I'm targeting snook and I catch jack and this time I'm targeting jack and I catch snook. Right. You know, I nice snook just under slot, dumps it. And I just, I actually, I heard your voice in my head saying, keep that rod tip up. Just keep that rod tip up. And that was what I did. That's good advice. It is good advice. Because I had, no, because I had a bad habit of letting the rod tip dip too far forward. Well, dude, fishing, just like most sports, it's more mental than it is anything. It really is. And if you, right, if you put your mind to work and your mind's at ease and you're not nervous, you're not, and, and you feel like you're going to accomplish something, the chances you accomplish something fishing are, are pretty much there. Yeah. But... But you know what I'm saying, though, right? It's like, have, have you ever had a situation where maybe you didn't do something for a while? Oh, yeah. You know? Oh, and yeah. it's like, and you're just like, well, shoot, I sure hope I still remember how to do this. You know what well, I mean? I don't know if it's like... Well, if for it's you, like, fish should be different, yeah. Well, I'm just, no, the, the, like, there's areas that... I go fish, it's, and, and it usually changes seasonally. And when you haven't fished someplace in like three months, and then you roll up in there, and you know, you're with people, and the pressure's on, and you got to catch something. Yeah, I mean, the thought goes through your mind. You know, I mean, years ago it went through your mind a lot more, and it was a lot more, you know, in, uh, how do you say it? More uh, influence, influential. <laughs> Intimidating. You know? you know, but now. It doesn't go through your mind quite as much, and when it does go through your mind, you know, it goes through much more swiftly and, you know, not near as much impact. Like, I remember when I first started guiding, and, uh, you know, it's always weird when you have people on the boat, and um, they're paying you a lot of money, and you feel like 
You know, you got to perform. Pressure's on. Right, you got to perform. And uh, I used to worry about it, like, a lot. Like, it was, like, something that was in my mind, like, before, after the trip, anticipating it, the same feeling for the, for the upcoming trips. But after doing this for, jeez, oh, I mean, full-time, like, like, 18 years now. Has it been 18? Yeah. And um, I don't feel that way so much anymore. And when I do feel it, I'll feel it for, you know, a minute or so. And then it's so easy to shake nowadays compared to the old days. Yeah. And that's just, you know, repetition, confidence. You know, when you do something over and over and over and over and over again, um, I, I don't want to say you can predict it, but let's just say what happens doesn't necessarily surprise you anymore. Yeah, you've learned to kind of anticipate what's coming. You anticipate it, and you don't let it... Um, you don't let it bring you down. You don't let it bring you down. You don't let it alter your goal. You don't let it um, play mind tricks on you. And uh, it just gets easier, you know, as time goes by. And, you know, that's, that's one of the things people always talk about when they talk about becoming a better fisherman or a better guide. And we refer to it as water time. Yeah. But, you know, other people say, oh, you got to have time on the water, time on the water. And um, there is no substitute for time on the water. No. And when you talk about having time on the water, that's your first that's your first um, objective. That's your first goal in order to make everything else work. Yeah. Because nothing happens. You can't do anything. Nothing happens until you're out there on the water. Yeah. I mean, you, you could think about it all you want, but right, until you, can you anticipate, go out there and do it. Right. Until you actually are out there physically out there doing it then yeah nothing happens and let me tell you all it takes is for you to get that first hit and you got that fish on and all of a sudden it's funny everything comes back to you you start remembering what to do it's almost like you know I don't want to say every time but in my case I was very happy that it was almost like riding a bike you know and it was it was the best feeling I tell you man just the adrenaline rush I got these past few weeks of just catching beach snook because I mean as soon as you because you got to remember with snook and jacket there's a distinction between their hit jack is more it's kind of like a hard bump the snook is like a thump and I know as soon as I feel that initial thump and I set that hook and that snook could take off and as soon as he jumps I mean my heart just starts going out much but in a good way though it's, it's it's the best feeling in the world, I can tell you. And I, I've noticed kind of a change in my whole attitude and just everything these past, like, two, three weeks from finally just going back out there and doing it and not just sitting there thinking about it. Well, and you caught a couple of snooks. And we actually weeks. got them. Yeah. You know? It's amazing, you know, like, how catching a couple fish, you know, will change your mindset, change your attitude. You know, enlighten, let yourself enlighten yourself. Yeah. Uh, you know what I mean? Yeah. Because it's just, you know, it's, it, you know, you spend a long time, you don't go down there, and then you do go down there, you don't catch something, and then you start doubting, you know, Jesus, are the fish down there anymore? Am I doing it right? You know, am I, did I have the right glasses on? Whatever. All, I mean, all sorts of stuff come into your mind. And then you go down there and you bang a few, and then all of a sudden, the glasses that you have on, you know damn well they're the right glasses. And the outfit you're fishing well, you know damn well that that's the right outfit. And the plug you're throwing, you know damn well that's, that's the, the right, right plug. One. 
and then you know you go down there and two weeks go by and you don't catch anything and then what happens then those little doubts shoot. those little doubts start they creeping back. back into your mind they, well you know, I, I, i'm gonna admit this i've been guilty some mornings because i because you it's i get it's, it's very rare that i've been going down fishing to the beach in the middle of the afternoon during the day very rare for me to do that i like going early morning but when I wake up in at like 5.45 in the morning to go down there, I've been guilty of looking in my closet and saying to myself, well, you know, when I wore that shirt, I caught a real big No, snub. you didn't. I did. You were like, I like I'm going to wear the shirt that like is my lucky shirt, that type of well, thing? Well, not so much as my lucky shirt, but I just think to myself, okay, when I wore this shirt, I caught fish, but they were on the smaller side. When I wore this shirt... I seemed like I was catching them bigger. <laughs> Look, I, I'll admit it. I'll admit it. I've done it. I haven't done it every time, but I've done it. But so, this is the thing with me. Whenever I like, whenever I fish, the thing I love about beach fishing is how unpredictable it can be, and how you. I like to almost like kind of strategize it. You know, I start thinking to myself like, okay, I need to get into these fish's heads and try to figure out. So. I recently have kind of learned a little bit of a pattern that I've noticed these past few weeks. That's called developing a pattern. Developing a pattern. So you've developed a pattern. I've developed a pattern that seems to be working. Okay. Okay. Now I'm not going to really go into what it is, and I'm not going to say that this is set in stone, but again, I've noticed this. So it goes back to when we were talking about, you know, in Triple Live last year. Well, what's the best way to do it? Whatever way you find works for you, that's the best way to do it. So you're not going to tell us what your pattern was? Yeah. I mean, should I? Yeah. I mean, you all brought right. it up. And, you know, right, it's, it's, it's a podcast. It's like people want to hear stuff. All right. All right. So what I've noticed is I've been going out an hour before high tide hits. Because you guys, so, so, you know, for anybody that fishes the beach, every, you know, you got you to gotta remember, especially if you're fishing for snook, you always want a moving incoming tide, is what I've always learned. But it's always been kind of up for debate of, well, okay, well, you need to do two hours, three hours, because I fished them all. I fished two hours. I've even fished four hours before high tide hits. Mm-hmm. There's still enough water that fish will come in close. But what I've noticed these past few weeks is I've been getting there one hour before high tide hits. And so far, that's when they've been hitting. And you're, and you're buying into that? For right now, I am. But the thing, I, the thing that I always laugh about Snook is once I think I've got them figured out, all of a sudden they do. And, and, and I don't know wrong. That's not saying that, you know, before that, they're not going to hit. But I've noticed that they, I seem to be getting a lot more luck if I get there and start fishing an hour. You see, that's how, when you, when you start thinking like that, that's how you become a tide junkie. Do you know what a tide junkie is? I, you know what? You can make fun of me, but I consider myself a little bit of a tide junkie. Dude, I'm not making fun of the tide junkies. I'm just <laughs> saying that there's a way to fish that you become a tide junkie. And a tide junkie is somebody that only fishes for certain species at a certain time because they think it's going to be easy for them. Well, I wouldn't go that far then. Because I always go out there like, listen, it's never going to be easy. Well, you know? But, but no, that is true, though. A lot of guys will be like, okay, this will be the best time for me to get this. Now, there's a lot of dudes. I mean, there's a lot of, like, professional guides that are tied junkies. Like, for instance, they'll, they'll time their trip 
according to, to what the tide. to what the tide's doing. So if the yep. tide's happening at, at 11 o'clock at night, they'll pick the dude up at 9 o'clock at night so they can fish at 11 o'clock at night. Yep. So now speaking on the, the subject of tide junkies, how about moon junkies? Same thing. Guys that now, so... I don't, I don't buy into the tide or the moon. I will say this. Have I caught fish during a full moon? Yeah, I have. Mostly during the day, however. I the, I have fished the morning before, before during a full moon. I've caught fish. Have I caught as many fish? No, but I've caught fish. Well, I don't know. I hear everybody talk about the moon, the tide, the new moon, all the different stuff. And... I listen to it, and then I book my trips, and when I book my trips, I pretty much work somewhere between five or six days a week, and I never change the time that we go fishing. I pick the people up at four o'clock right now, we fish till nine o'clock right now. Um, a couple months ago, when it was getting, you know, it was dark much earlier, before the time change, I picked them up at two o'clock. We'd fish till friggin' you know seven o'clock. It's a five-hour trip, and the only thing that I can tell you that is without a doubt fact is that when the sun goes up and when the sun goes down, it activates the fish. It might only be for five or fifteen minutes, sometimes an hour, hour and a half. Yeah. But often that's when you see the fish get active. Yeah. And I've seen them get active on all tides during that different time. I'll tell you something else about the tides. And for all you tide junkies out there that are listening, make sure that you're listening up nice and good right now. The tide is important because the tide will tell you where you should fish. The tide is not near as important to tell you when you should fish. You feel you feeling me? I like that. No, because you have to, especially as a professional, I shouldn't say, especially for professional, even as a, even even as a you know recreational angler, you only you know you only got so much time to fish. So whatever the tide may be during the time you're going fishing, you have to deal with it. So instead of becoming a tide junkie, I think more people should expand their horizons with getting more spots that work at different tides. And then take advantage of the you know the uh, sun going up and down, and then you know let that you know be a trigger for the fish. You know, I'll honestly, Jeff, a lot of it I really think is just luck too. When I think like like the tides and the moons, you know, like I said, I do watch the tide just because that's when I've had the best luck. You know, but. I do think a lot of it is just like, because guess what? I fished many, many tides, incoming high tide, no full moon, and still haven't gotten, gotten a hit. Okay. Sometimes they might be there, sometimes they might not be. I never talk, when I'm, when I'm, when I'm out on the boat with clients, I never talk about tide, um, but I do often talk about fish moods because you have certain times where the fish are just in a phenomenally good mood where they'll let you hook them 
they'll basically eat you know the baits that you have out there and it could be the same exact tide and time tomorrow but the fish just aren't in that great of a mood so maybe they're just not eating quite as well and same thing with humans and all sorts of other you know there's there's different moods that you can be in and if the fish are in a good mood and they're happy you get a lot more strikes when the fish aren't in a good mood and they're dormant and you know you're not going to get as many strikes regardless of the time of day regardless of the tides regardless of anything so where does that leave us tide junkies don't worry about it no, it's just basically with the, you just go fishing and you keep fishing and the more you fish you know the better rhythms you'll get and so on and so forth but there's no right or wrong there's no answer there's no um, science behind it no real science behind it and um, what's good for one fish isn't necessarily good for another agreed you know like the tunas and the muttons you know they like the full moons and the big moons and the big tides I tell you right now, the tarpon and the snooks aren't really that fired up about the big boons and the big tides. It doesn't, you know, as far as I can tell, it hurts it more than it helps it. So, you know, again, you know, when, just when you think you know something, <laughs> just when you think you know something, right? You don't know nothing. Then you act like you know something, and then you look foolish because you don't know nothing. And the stuff that you thought you knew the first year you were fishing is totally different than the stuff that you knew five years into fishing, which is totally different when you're into it for 15 years, which is totally different when you're into it for 30 years, and so on and so forth. When I first started fishing the beach, man, I thought I had everything figured out. I said, okay, so they hit this, so this is the best month. This is the best time. This is the best lure. Well, guess what? Every year, the conditions are different. Three years ago, Jeff? Dania Beach in the springtime around March, not that heavy wind, barely any seaweed, crystal clear, flat calm. Was able to catch those big jacks on that Zara Spook. I was having an absolute blast. I was telling everybody the next year, all right, let's get ready. It's going to happen. We're going to be able to use our top waters out there. That wind come blowing like 30 miles an hour. More seaweed than you could imagine. Shoot, now we got to go back to the drawing board. Right, all of a sudden, the Zara Spook and throwing it in the weeds and all that, you can't do that. No, right. and all of a sudden, I'm sitting there scratching my head, and everybody looking at me like, I thought you said that, because you sounded so confident, which goes back to what you what we always say, which is, when you think you know something, pretty good chance you don't. Right, and you're always real confident, right, before you get a swift kick in the balls. Yeah. And oh, then, sometimes you need, like, let me tell you, fishing will humble you. Oh, you think? It will humble you. You know, Busaki, you're really, you know, maturing. I am. I think it's the, I think it's a uh, a, a, um, a result of hanging with you. <laughs> I think it's a result of fishing. That's where a, the more you fish, the less you actually know that you don't know. <laughs> but but you know what I think the thing is though, Jeff? It's all it's more fishing and accepting, coming to terms with the fact that you don't know nothing. You might know some things. I know something, but I always go out there and just say, look, you know, like today, for example, I told you I was working the soft plastic in, usually the snook, you know, right underwater, it thump, that's it. I had one today, I told you, he jumped clean out of the water and then hit it. It did the one hopper. It did the one hopper. <laughs> I've never had a snook do that before. And so here I am going, 
And I never thought Snook would do that. You know, again, every year you're going to see and experience new things. So that's why. Just, just go out there and just fish. And you learn something new every time. But just because you learn something new doesn't mean you know something new. Well, don't ever act like you know something. Exactly. You know. I think that's a, that's the number one thing. Like, all right, so say you're going to do like, you know, you're going to do like a snook seminar or something. Yeah, you come up with a theory, you know, something that works and, you know, certain hook size, certain baits that actually work. And, you know, you can teach somebody that. Well, you know what I would do, Jeff, if I was in that situation, what I would say is, this is what I use. This is what I've had success with. That doesn't mean that anything you're using is not going to have success. That I'm just telling you guys, I'm here to speak. This is what's worked for me. That's what I say. Well, personally, I think, I don't know, I, I think you're like, um, I don't know. A little bit fish high right now because you got two nice snooks in the last ten days or so or whatever. Yeah. So you know, it's like you know you're going to bed at night right now and you're thinking about the snooks and you know. I am. What they ate and how the conditions were and yep. what's it going to be like the next time I go down there. See, but you can't do that though because the conditions next weekend might be completely different. Yeah, but you do realize that that's the that's one of the that's one of the things that make fishing fun. It's so unpredictable. It's unpredictable, but it makes you sit back at night and analyze everything and go over everything a hundred times mentally. And, yep. Right, and it makes your it makes your mind spin, and that's all part of the sport. Yep. And um, if it didn't do that, it wouldn't be fun. Right. It would take a lot of the fun out of it, and it's funny that never goes away. No. Hey, let me tell you, you know. I particularly, when I fish the beach, it's Jack Carvel or Snook for the most part. A few, about a month or so ago, I got into some nice bluefish, which is rare, but that's typically what I'm getting out there. And I mean, I've caught tons of these things, Jeff, but I can tell you one thing. Every year for the past four or five years, I've been, I've been doing the pre-pot action. There has not been one morning when I've gotten up at 545 and I have not just literally thrown on my clothes as fast as I could and just wanting to get to the beach as fast as I can because I'm so excited. I know that, I know I, I already know basically what I'm going to get. Right. But it amazes me how much it still excites me. I, like, I'm still just like, I can't wait to get out there. You like pre-pod season. I love, pre-pod is my Super Bowl, I've always told people. Explain to the audience what pre-pod, what you mean. I mean, because, you know, you, we all talk about it, and if you've been in the network a long time, you know, it's a normal term. But a lot of people don't know what pre-pod even means. So pre-pod, so not to get confused with happy bait. So happy bait is the mullet run. Pre-pod is we got the glass minnows, the pilchards, and then once in a while we'll see the Spanish sardines roll through at the very end. But I personally like pre-pod the best because, and you and I have spoken about this too, I've caught the majority of my snook during pre-pod. And, and here's my thing, you know, I, listen, I love happy bait. I, I mean, I happy bait's cool, don't get me wrong. But, you know, there's so many more variety of fish when you're fishing happy bait and their fish are harder to catch during happy bait. I mean, because, I mean, well, look how much they have around the feed. Right. You know what I mean? Right. But, because me, I'm such a snook junkie that I like going out there going, okay, there's like a pretty high percentage chance that I'm going to get me a snook. Right. You know, and it's like you go out there, you might get a two pounder, 
You might get a 10 pounder, you might get 12 pounder, you know, but that's the fun thing. And that's why I still to this day, every morning during pre-pod, I get up and I cannot wait to get down there. All right, so tell me, tell me your routine for pre-pod fishing. And pre-pod fishing usually starts like right at the end of May, June, of June, June will fill in. Um, it'll get a little spotty in July in the beginning of August, and then it gets really good at the end Happy of August. Bit. And um, you know, uh, the schools of small pilchard sardines and uh, glass minnows. So what's 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 your get, tell everybody how, how the how the morning works? Tell me exactly how you how kind you of my your, routine. Yeah, well, for pre-pod. For pre-pod, so. What I've always done, so and I'm not really going to go into detail about gear or anything like that, but what I always like to do is I like to get to the beach just before sun come up. And how okay. far are you away from the beach or before you're, uh, what, how far are you away from I'm your only fishing spot? Drive maybe five minutes at the most. All right, so I've been get... very fortunate with that. Okay. So I get up at 545 every morning during pre-pod. Okay. I get down to the beach around six o'clock. And I start walking until I get to a certain spot. Well, hold on, hold on. So you get up and you go to the beach. What do you bring with you? So I bring, so, all right, maybe I'll go in a little bit of detail. So I use a seven-foot rod. You got to go into go to good yeah, detail. Yeah, we're going to have to I mean, We got an hour to talk to people. Yeah. We might as well get into detail. All right. So, so I, I prefer a uh, seven-foot uh, fast-action rod, one-piece. I'm not about two-piece rods. Kind of like the pre-pod rod? Kind of like that. Um, I use the, uh, so I, I personally like the pen spin fisher reel. Okay. And I like that because it's sealed. So I, if it gets wet, I don't have to worry about it getting ruined. I roll out there with, I'm usually sporting about 20 pound, uh, 20 pound braid. And I put on a 30 pound fluorocarbon leader. Now I use pink, all right? Because pink is the first color to disappear. It's a good thing you're not getting that much into detail. But go ahead. <laughs> I'm just getting started. <laughs> go ahead. Anyways, the, the equipment junkies and the you know. Yeah, they might want to hear this. So like it. I, I like I like 30 pound fluorocarbon because it's not too heavy, but it's not too light. Um, I'm not really going going to go into super detail about the the lure that I use, uh, but I like soft plastic swim baits. So you, I'll leave it at that. I like soft plastic swim baits. You do know it's okay to give people your, you know, the lure you're using for pre-pod. Yeah, no. It, I mean, it's not like it's it like a two-day thing or nothing. I know. It's not like the beach doesn't run from Miami to Jacksonville. I know. But, yeah, so I use, I like soft plastic swim baits. Okay. Um, <laughs> whether or not, whether what color? I like, um, like, silver is what I've had the best luck with. Silver, okay. I've had silver and grays the best luck. Silver, so. gray, pearl. Yeah, something like that. Okay, good. You know? So so I usually roll on down there. I get there about 6 o'clock, and that's from the time I wake up to the time I put my stuff on and get down there. So I start walking to, there's a certain spot where I've noticed that they start to hit. That's where they start hitting that. So I walk down to that spot. Usually by the time I get to that spot, usually about 6.10, 6.15, the sun is just starting to come up enough to where it actually is, I can see. Right. And I know that the fish can see. Okay, just enough. Now, let me tell you, usually, Jeff, I've only got about maybe a 15, 20 minute window of when they're going to hit. Right. Okay. So what I like to do, so, and, and, you know, people have asked me why I don't use live bait. I can't stand still. I got to keep walking. So you're, too, you're too fidgety. I'm too fidgety. But it's it's kind of it's kind of a mixed blessing though because you know you kind of get that morning cardio in, which is good. 
you know so I kind of make my way down the beach and what I like to do is I do a nice steady retrieve with a twitch 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 and just and now you know mind you you know at 6.15 in the morning my reflexes you know aren't exactly lightning speed but I tell you what when you get that first initial thump I mean it's like somebody just gave me a shot of adrenaline it is the best feeling in the world but what I've also what I also like to do when I go out there is one of the first things I'll start doing is I look for the pelicans okay that's the first thing that I'll, I'll, I'll that if I can if I can look around look for birds and see if you see pelicans diving as soon as I see pelicans diving I start running down that beach like a madman huh? to get there I don't care I'll freaking hightail it down there I start and it's funny I start like you know kind of rigging up as I'm running down there so literally and before I don't even stop I'm almost there and, it, and it's still running and I cast it right in there and there's been plenty of times soon as I get in there twitch twitch boom. you know it's funny you mention the pelicans because you know um and all the YouTube videos especially at the beginning um you know 10 15 years ago when we were first starting to do them Lamont would show like masses massive amounts of footage of the pelicans yep I remember the pelicans dive in and the pelicans fly in and the pelicans you know uh continuously dive bombing you know together you know and just over and over and over and over again and i don't know if um if people realized you know that it was almost like a subliminal message like oh you want to go beach fishing oh you want to do happy bait well you might want to look for these guys yeah and the pelicans were the, like the big you know a big part of the 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 production as far as making the videos yeah and it was a dead giveaway I mean it was you know very simple but I wonder if the majority of people actually got it like hey you know the mullet run videos you know they all sport in the pelicans you know maybe that's what the first thing I should look for because you gotta remember the pe- well, this is what I always remember the pelicans are hitting them from up top the snooks are usually hitting them from the bottom that's what I've learned I've, that's true, it, and it's it's funny because the pelicans get active when the fish eat, and vice versa. Yeah. When you see the pelicans getting active, that's when the fish eat, exactly. and everything seems to come to life together. When you go down there to the beach and you're doing the pre-pod or you're doing happy bait, and you see the pelicans just kind of sw- like just sitting in the water, and you'll notice that the bait will be there and the fish will be there. But they're just not feeding. Right. Nothing's feeding. Everybody thinks just chilling. The pelicans chilling. The bait's chilling, and the predatory fish are chilling. And then the pelicans start flying around, and then, you know, they're dive-bombing, and there's three or four or five of them dive-bombing at the same time. And then a snook jumps out of the water, and then Jack starts ripping down the beach, and the tarpons start rolling around, and then everything happens. Just patience, man. But it's I always but, but I also tell people, if you don't see pelicans diving, don't that, that doesn't mean that they're not fish there. That's true. Because that, that, that happened to me today. I didn't see any. I didn't see any birds diving today, and I'm just walking down the beach, and I happen to be in the right place at the right time, and I see glass minnows flying all over the place. Now I almost freaking jumped for joy because I thought what I was looking at was a whole school of snook because they were they were actually decent jacks and they were long, so I just saw long silver, and for a second I thought it was a school of snook, and I was about ready to jump for joy, and then I realized they were they were big jacks, but I mean sure I flew through right into them, bam, and they hit it. Right. But but there were no pelicans diving. 
So don't don't think that just because you don't see the birds diving means that they're not going to be there. They're still there. But if you do see the birds diving, you better get over there. Right. Let me tell you, and I I I like Jeff. I've seen them. We're talking way to hell down the beach, and I don't care. I will run the whole way. And you never use bait. I've never used bait, but you also have to take into consideration too, though, Jeff. Dania Beach is such a seaweedy beach that I mean, a seaweedy beach. There's the, one the, beach the, is more seaweedy. Oh than yes, it is. If you let me tell you, we, if we, if you and I got in a truck right now and we drove up to Juno Pier, I guarantee you we wouldn't see as much seaweed as we do at Dania Beach. But no, I just well, you know, Juno's a hundred miles away. I know, and they got a lot of snook up there, so I'm gonna well, have to maybe make a eighty trip miles away or whatever. But that's not a comparison. Oh, Jeff. <laughs> that's not a comparison. Not one well, beach is more weedy than another. Especially consistently. Maybe on any on one particular day or whatever. Or maybe for 100 yards of the beach may not be as bad as the other. But jeez, Lusaka. I'm going to have to... Because you would have to go and look at Hollandale. And then you'd have to look at Hollywood. Then you'd have to look at Damien. Then you'd have to look at, at Fort Lauderdale just to make a production, a, a so, production like that. So this is what we're going to do. I'm going to call Drew when I get home tonight. And I'm going to ask him if he could take a boat ride from Fort Lauderdale, patrol Fort Lauderdale, and then go down to Dania. I'm going to say, do you notice that if one more is, is more seaweedy than the other? <laughs> Dude, just get... They got like... Uh, they got beach cams. Just check all the beach cams. Not all... No, I don't think Dania Beach has a beach cam, do they? Hollywood does. Hollywood? And... Um, El- yeah, but that's not an underwater. Fort Lauderdale does. Yeah, Deerfield, Deer- Deerfield got the but the De- pier cam. Deerfield's got the pier. So you can just look at the you can just look at the beach cams to get a decent weed report. Yeah, but but again, it's like you know, just because there are weeds down there doesn't mean you know that should stop you. But you don't have any weedless beach baits that you can use down there. Oh, I do, but it's still so much that it still freaking gets like just clogged on it. You know, you can yeah. rig a sluggo weedless. A sluggo? A sluggo. Is that the long pink thing? Well, it's what you would call a uh, soft plastic. <laughs> you can Google it if you have to. But sluggo. <laughs> you can rig your sluggo weedless. My sluggo. You don't use sluggo. Right I've never even heard of this, but now I feel like I need to see this. See, there's there's a lot of dudes right now that are kind of giggling and laughing a little bit that Busaka doesn't know what a sluggo is. A sluggo is an American <laughs> football pass routine. I never heard that, but... Oh. The uh, up north, like Jersey and Massachusetts, Connecticut Sound. Oh, I see it right here. All up there. They all use sluggos. They use the piss out of them, and they work. And I, I got a package of sluggos because of uh, that striped bass guy, uh, Eric, that I took fishing. I was up there in Boston with him last summer, and then he came down here. That's and it. he's always using a sluggo, right? And uh, you rig that sluggo weedless, just like a bass lure or bass worm, and then you can fish down on the beach, right in all that weed. I mean, I, I'm still able to fish, but there there is a lot of seaweed down there. But no, I just I haven't really had the because again, it's just like because I don't want to stand still for too long. Even when I'm even when I'm hooked up, you're antsy. I'm you antsy. Like, let me put it this way: even when I'm hooked up. So two years ago, I got very humbled. By a big snook at Dania Beach Pier. So a big snook schooled you at Dania Beach. He schooled me. So real quick of what happened. So I got down there. I went after work one day late afternoon. Very rare for me to go down there at that time after work. His son was out and everything. And I was right at the pier. 
Very unusual for me to cast right there. I usually have a spot I go to. And I was throwing one of those spool tech lures. First time I ever used it. Throw the it big out one? There. The, the small one. The small I, one. I put the small one on. And you know, there was so much seaweed out there, you know, and I could feel it getting, you know, hooked up. And then all of a sudden I threw it out. I think it was my fourth cast. And I just felt a thump. And I said, that ain't seaweed right there. So all the, and I could see it all the way out there. Big snook starts jumping. And I'm trying not to make a scene in front of everybody because, you know, everybody starts crowding around like, oh, get him in, get him. You know, I don't like that. So I'm trying to kind of maintain my cool. So, you know, mind you, the rod is almost like horizontal at this point, and I'm trying not to make a scene. And the big snook, he, he was smart. He come flying right to shore, and I couldn't keep up with him. And I couldn't keep the tension. He fell right off. So this is a little trick that I've learned. Now, I'm not saying you guys have to do this, but this has worked for me. Whenever I hook a snook, you know, snook, they go all every direction. Sometimes they'll go to the left, they go to the right, out towards you. I've had them do it all. Whatever direction they go, I follow them in real consistently to keep that pressure. And that has been one of my saving graces. So if I've got him hooked, if he starts making a beeline for the left, I can keep reeling, I run to the left with him. If then he goes to the right, I run to the right. I had him one time, then come right straight at me and I ran back, but you gotta consistently reel. It sounds silly, Jeff, but it has saved me so many snook from losing doing that. Well, you know, beach snook, beach snook are a lot harder to lose than, you know, like when you're bridge fishing or... Well, yeah, I mean, that's a different... That's you're a fishing different by the jetties or by rocks or structure or whatever. Yeah. Like, one of the best things about beach snook is... Um, see, I'll roll down on the beach during pre-pod and I'll bring, you know, like an eight-pound test spinner with me and I'll target 10, 12, 14 pound snooks with it because catching that size snook on that light tackle it's fun it's fun it's a blast and um, it's one of the few places where you can catch you know like a 10 or 12 pound snook and he's not next to some piling or bridge or something that he can totally you know crush you on I also bring you know like a an 8 weight fly rod down there and do it with the fly rod also but uh, I don't know. Very rarely, very rarely, unless it's a fly, do I not use bait. You know what I mean? Like I go down, and um, well, you're not antsy like me though. Well, I'm not antsy, and um, I also realize that you know, I rather sit there and let the fish come to me, and like hang out in the sand and just you know relax and take it all in. Then try to walk the hundreds of miles of sand that and try I to find that. <laughs> I mean, you know, like if I see some fish splashing and they're 50 yards down, it's like, yeah, I'll go 50 yards or whatever. But like, I wanted to go fishing on the beach one day with Drew. And Drew wanted to start walking from 18th Street all the way to like Commercial Pier. I did that once. Well, you guys are like skinny and stuff. <laughs> you know, and you're like half my age. Dude, I don't mean to interrupt you, but you know what I did one time? I walked from Commercial Pier to Lighthouse Point. In the sand. In the sand. I will never do that again. Why? Your calves still hurt. Not that. I was just... I hadn't had anything to eat. Nothing to drink. Oh, that's brilliant. And no snook. So it wasn't even worth it. Beautiful day. <laughs> but no snook. So I'll never do that again. I'm sorry. Continue. 
I'm just saying, you know. Yeah, no, but you know, again, listen, I know plenty of people that like to just, you know, listen, they let the fish come to them. Now, my case is a little bit different, though, because when, I, when I'm there early in the morning, you know, I'm doing that before work. I've, I'm only there for an hour. So as far as I'm concerned is in my situation, I, I feel like I have to go find the fish because I'm just like, if I let, if I wait for the fish to come to me, yeah, he might come. But if I walk and go looking for him, I might find a little bit quicker. That's just my situation, you know. But Dude, listen, you're antsy. And I'm antsy. <laughs> you know, if you're antsy, then you know you're probably not. You know, like I said a hundred million times, there's no right and wrong way to do it. No, it's just everybody's got everybody's got their own their own way of doing it. But I mean, you know, people would argue there's a right and wrong way to do it. Oh, of course. And you know, like if you looked at like all the giant snooks that I caught on the beach over the years, and so on and so forth. That's only because of the number of days that I've been able to go down there. And that goes back to water time. Right. And that's it's, the biggest thing. Well, it's, 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 it's the first thing. Yeah. Like without having water time or spending time on the water. You know, and, and when, you, when people talk about water time or think about water time, you know, it's not like you have to be spending your time at the fishiest spots. Yeah, I mean, I mean, you might be able to learn something by simply sitting in your car at the beach, staring out of the ocean, and you notice, well, geez, you know, about 50 feet off the beach, there's a little weed slick right there, or a shoal, and the schools of bait keep popping up right there where the weed slick and the shoal is, you know, or whatever it might be. But the water time could be at a boat ramp. It could be at a park. You could be sitting on a friggin' bench at a park overlooking the water and see schools of mullet come by or see maharas by the seawall or see sheep's head eating on the barnacles or whatever and so you learn something observing you observe but you have to be on the water in order to observe that's why I, I told you last year I told you in Lamont I said I am making myself a promise this year that I because I said I, I was so appalled at how many snook I caught last year I only caught five the whole year I got five the whole year. And you got two in the last week. Three. Three in the last week. Yeah. All right. So I, and, and they've actually been quality fish. So that was why I said I made myself a promise that this year I'm going to put more water time in. Now, 2017, I was killing it. I was so proud of myself. But I, but I was putting the water time in. I was going down there, Jeff, five, six times a week. I was doing it. And then in 2018... You got, uh, you got sick. Yeah, you got sick, yep. And did they ever figure out what that was? They did. They found out what it was, um, but the recovery was, was pretty long. So, and I, 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 mean, I, I tried, I will say this, I did try to go down to the beach during Happy Bait, but physically I couldn't do it. I never, I don't think I told you about that either. I, I physically, I, I tried going down there, and I couldn't make it. So I think you might have got red-tided. That was actually before it got down here, but and, and I, I tell you what, you know, I don't mean to sound dramatic, but that was the worst feeling in the world, going down to, you know, the beaches. I always say is like my second home, right? My spot, and I can't even, I can't even fish. Like physically, I couldn't do it. I had to turn back around. So you don't think home. you got red tided? No, I don't think I did. Because supposedly. Um, during those red tide periods, you go down to the beach and you'd breathe it in, 
and it would make you feel faint or sick. I, and let me tell you, I, I, I've taken a lot of pride in, in making sure that there's not a lot of things that can get me down. Like, let me tell you, even, even, even when it's springtime and the wind's blowing like 30 miles an hour, I'm still out there. I'm throwing a crocodile spoon. I don't let this stop me. You know what I mean? And they're like, man, I can barely walk in this way. Tough. Do it. So you're like the hardcore beach fisherman. I am. It's got to be like Hurricane Andrew out there <laughs> for me to not be out. Let me tell you. I've even been out there in the king tide. My whole thing has always been whatever you have to do to get that fish on the beach. What do you do it? What do you do when the government shuts down the drawbridges and tells people you can't go over there? Oh, I find a way. Let me tell you, when the hurricane shut, I think it was, was it Irma that shut Dania Beach down? They shut it down. It doesn't even have to be a real hurricane. It's like a there tropical was a storm warning and they shut it down. You're not allowed to go to the beach. Oh, well, there, whatever the last hurricane, I think it was Irma, and they closed Hollywood. No, well, Hollywood was open, but they closed Dania Beach down completely. It was a mess. And everybody was like, yeah, no, Dania Beach is closed, man. You can't fish there. And I said, we'll see about that. So I parked at Hollywood Beach. No, I didn't park. I had my mom drop me off. I said, Ma, do me a favor. I said, um, if you don't mind. I said, drop me off right here. And I walked down to Hollywood Beach. And from Hollywood Beach, I walked all the way down to Dania Beach Pier. Because I said, I'm getting over there. Now, unfortunately, the, uh, the guys that were cleaning up all the rubble over there in construction caught me and <laughs> threw me out of there. But the fact of the matter is, if I, was, I was still not letting that get in my way. Until you got thrown out. Until I got thrown out. Just like how I got thrown out of uh, my sheep's head spot, too. Which, speaking ah, well, we'll talk about that. Are you finding it's like, like is it, it's getting fairly consecutive? You getting thrown out of spots? Actually, it was for a little while, but now it's getting better. We'll talk about that uh, maybe on another show. I, I may have found a... Uh, a new sheep's head spot? No, I may have found... What do they call A loophole? A loophole. Well, what do they call I may have found a... There's just a hole in the system. A loophole in the system. I, found okay. a lo- I may have found a loophole in the system. Let's just say it pays to know people. What do you got, an uncle that's like a cop or something? No, let's just say I made all the right friends at the place and... Uh, they kind of told me when to go so and like, where to go. So you know somebody now. Now I know somebody, which is good. It's good to know people. It is good to know people. See, you didn't think I knew nobody. Now I know somebody. Well, you kept getting thrown out of spots consecutively. I, I mean, how am I supposed to know you know somebody? <laughs> well, now I know somebody. It's not like you show up to my house with like a bucket full of, you know, yellow eyes or something. Like you knew somebody. I know a guy to hook me up, man. <laughs> yeah, like when you know people like I do. Then you get hooked up with a bucket full of yellow eyes or whatever. Well, yeah, so... But, <laughs> but anyway, so going back to what we were saying, I don't, let, I don't really let many things get in my way, but what was wrong with me physically, I mean, even walking outside the house, couldn't do it. But I wanted to fish so bad. So I, I, I managed to get myself down to the beach... And I could only make it a few steps, and it was. And I, I was, I was upset with myself. I, 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 it was pathetic. I just, I remember saying to myself, I cannot believe that I can't do this. You know what I mean? But, you know, thankfully, that hopefully those days are over completely, and uh, and I'm just ready. You know, like I mean, listen, I'm, I'm knock on wood. I've been off to a great start with 2019. Well, Stephen, you're lucky because uh, pre-pod is only about 
a few weeks away. Yeah, maybe three to five weeks away, according to how it comes in this year. Yeah. So the beach fishing should get better and better and better. It seems like you're off to a jump start. And um, let's wrap up the podcast. Thanks for coming in tonight. Of course. Uh, next week, uh, we're going to do a podcast with uh, a true snowbird, Robert Sylvia from right. uh, Massachusetts. He's uh, going to do a podcast with us, so look forward to having that. I thought it would be cool if the three of us did it together. Um, since, you know, you get buddy-buddies with him at the fishing club meetings and all that. Let's do it. So, um, and he's from, he's from Massachusetts, and you and I both got family in Massachusetts. So we, that's something that we can, we can kind of bond on. Well, you know, he's like, he's like the snowbird. He is. <laughs> I mean, like, he's the best snowbird that I've been around in a long time, and God knows there's enough snowbirds to come down here. But I got to hand it to Robert. He's probably the best snowbird. So we look forward to having him on the show next week. Thanks for tuning in to the Real Guy Podcast. Uh, this is Captain Jeff, along with the shepherd, Stephen Busaka. And uh, run that dog. Tune in to our next podcast, which will be next week. And uh, run that dog. Run, run that dog. Run that dog, y'all.